Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. On this first Sunday of Advent, our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. I'll be reading from chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Friends, hear now the word of God. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Two bees passed each other in flight, but they recognized each other, and they hit the brakes, did a 180, and came back to talk. The first bee said, long time no see, buddy. How you doing? The second one said, well, not so good. It's been raining. The flowers haven't been open. It's been difficult to get pollen to make honey. The second said, well, I've got a solution for you. Fly five blocks that way, turn right, Go down to you see all the cars on the right. There's a Jewish bar mitzvah taking place there. Lots of fresh flowers. Segwin said, great, thank you. And off he went. A couple hours later, they pass again. And this time, the second one says, so how did it go? First one said, well, it was just as you described it. Thank you very much. And then the second one said, but what's that thing on top of your head? And the first one replied, well, that's my yarmulke. I didn't want them to think I was a wasp. (laughs) White, Anglo-Saxon. They're not all good. (laughs) Ever try to dress in a certain way to fit in? Probably never put a yarmulke on, but you know what I mean. Ever try to do or say a certain thing to fit in? There's something inside us that wants to fit in and not be set apart. And yet Joseph, our main character today, was the opposite of that. He's a guy who was content to stay in the background, to wait patiently in Mary's shadow. He had a strong faith. He knew what he stood for. He knew what his priorities would be. And yet he doesn't say one word 
recorded in the Gospels. In fact, even in the other text that includes his name, where they go while Jesus is 12 to the Passover in Jerusalem, and Jesus stays behind, and they travel a day with family and friends in the caravan, and then they go back looking for him. When they find him, it takes three days to find him. Again, it's Mary who speaks. And she says, your father, and I've been worried to death. What have you done? And Jesus says, didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? Every example, Mary does the talking, and Joseph is behind her as the wind beneath her wings offering support. It's the kind of guy Joseph was. Carl laughed as he hung the sign on his office door that said, I am the boss. The laughter was even louder when he came back from lunch because there was a post-it note next to his sign. And the post-it note said, your wife called, she wants her sign back. (laughs) Now, we laugh at that because today that's such a realistic possibility. Husbands and wives continually, for fun, argue over who the boss is, don't we? But friends, not in 4 B.C. You know, Jesus wasn't born at zero. 4 B.C. And that culture declared Joseph to be unequivocally the boss of the home. And yet, as the boss, we never see him playing the trump card. He never says, well, because I say so. He's securing himself and doesn't have to prove it. And yet behind the scenes, he's got his hand on the ship's wheel, guiding the course. God chose Joseph because of his inner world, not because of his ability to speak. He was a doer, not a talker. The kind of guy would show up at your door with his toolbox and set about fixing your table or the broken latch. From his clothes, we know he was a man of poor means. And yet he was a man of strong character. He doesn't say a word, but we know from the choices he makes that his inner world was strong. And it was centered around the God he loved. Before I go further on Joseph, I want to spend just a moment and explain the Jewish wedding process. It's important in today's story to understand. There were three steps. Step number one was called the engagement. And the engagement was all about the dowry, D-O-W-R-Y. And the dowry simply was the amount paid to the bride's father for him to give his daughter in marriage. Now, it might take five minutes or it might take five weeks, but the groom and his family would make offers until the bride's father agreed. And when he agreed, he signed the contract, and it became a legally binding deal. When the contract was signed, step number two begins, and it's called the year of betrothal. Now, during this one year, which could not be longer or shorter, there was a public announcement that the betrothal had begun, a sign posted on the city square. During this year of betrothal, the bride and groom lived separately and had very little contact with each other. We can't imagine that today in our world where people live together to see if it's going to work. And yet, 
this year betrothal is when Mary finds out that she is with child. And it's during the betrothal that Joseph decides that he will divorce her quietly to protect Mary. So what do we know about Joseph? Well, there was the engagement, the betrothal, and then the wedding day. And don't you know at their wedding day, there were whispers behind their back. Judgmental glances cast their way. This wasn't the way it was supposed to go. And Mary has soiled Joseph's good family name. So how does Joseph respond? Number one, Joseph is called a righteous man. Now, what did that mean in 4 B.C. to be described as a righteous man? Well, it required a lot, actually. Number one, it meant Joseph could only eat kosher food, and he was blessed by the priest. Secondly, it meant that Joseph had to attend all the fast feasts and festivals as required by the synagogue. Thirdly, it meant he had to give all of his tithes, 23% of his income to the synagogue. And understand, this is before the separation of church and state, so that 23% included his taxes and his offerings lumped together. 23%. Fourthly, it meant that Joseph had to attend worship every Saturday in the synagogue to stay in good stead. God bless you. Fifthly, it meant... (laughs) Fifthly, it meant that he would have to keep the 630 Jewish laws as required of all Jewish men, and if he broke one accidentally on purpose, he would have to pay money and make restitution. He had to do all that to stay in good standing at the synagogue and be declared a righteous man, and yet Joseph did and was declared a righteous man. The second thing I think from our text we know about Joseph is he was obedient. In a dream, he gets a visit from God, and the voice says, take Mary to be your wife. And he does. He's faithful, even though he understands such a small piece of this big picture. And that's always our challenge as well. Can we trust God? when we don't know what it will mean, where it will go, or what's ahead? Joseph does. He sets aside his own reputation, the name of his family, and he marries a pregnant teenage girl when he knows he's not the father. He's obedient. Secondly, I'm I'm sorry, thirdly, we see in Joseph that he is discreet. When he finds out she's pregnant, he's going to divorce her quietly. And when God says, don't divorce her, I want you to take her as your wife, he does so, setting aside his own reputation, in order to do that which is best for Mary. Now understand, the Jewish law gave him two options because she's pregnant during the betrothal and he's not the father. Option number one is to have Mary stoned publicly. Now, that's really harsh. But it gives us a glimpse into the high priority they gave to one's reputation and the soling of one's name. Could have her stoned publicly. Or secondly, he could go to the public, to the town square, 
and cry out publicly three times out loud, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and it's final. It's how easy it was to divorce your wife. Announce it publicly, out loud. It's done. But Joseph passes on these options to be obedient to the angel's instruction and to protect the one he loves and the child within her. Well, he's righteous, he's obedient, he's discreet, and fourthly, we see in Joseph self-discipline. What guy isn't excited about his honeymoon night? But it's not going to be as Joseph has been dreaming. His wife is pregnant. What did they do that evening? Watch football and eat pizza? Well, we don't know what he did. We just know what he didn't do. He has no union with Mary until after the birth of the son. I read this last week in the paper about Clara and her husband, Jerry. They're in court because Clara was caught stealing at the grocery store. She's 80 years old, gets caught shoplifting. They're in Cincinnati. She's before the judge. The judge said, what did you steal? She said, a can of peaches. He said, how many peaches were in that can? She said, six. He said, well, I'm going to give you six days in jail to think about what you've done. Her husband sitting beside her, Jerry, he raises his hand. Before the sentencing is over, the judge calls on him and says, yes. He says, your honor, I think you should also know that she stole the can of peas. Now understand, that would not be discretion. But Joseph wouldn't have done that. He protects Mary at the cost of his own reputation. I like Joseph. He's behind the scenes. But he knows who he is. He knows right from wrong. And behind the scenes, he's guiding the ship. And when God looked into his heart, he knew here was a man he could trust to bring up his own son. Joseph was just an ordinary man used to carry out an extraordinary role. And as I read through the Bible, I see often that God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. I want to close today by telling you about one of my heroes. When you get home, you can Google his name and read the story because when I tell you, you're not going to believe it. His name is Robert Allen. And Robert Allen was born in rural Tennessee into a dysfunctional family. His father left when he was three. His mother ran off with a traveling salesman when he was five, leaving him alone. He walked five miles to his relative's house and they took him in, his Uncle Eddie, his Aunt Bevy, Aunt Ida. They lived in a one-room shack with no electricity and no running water, outhouse, out back. And in one corner of the shack, Uncle Eddie upholstered furniture to bring in enough income to put food on the table. Robert is five, and he's not allowed to go to school because Uncle Eddie needs his help with the upholstery business. 
But Aunt Bevy, in the evenings by the fireplace, teaches young Robert to read. And Aunt Ida teaches young Robert to have faith in God and believe with God that all things are possible. So they would read the Bible at night. Robert would read out loud. Five chapters every night out loud. And when they finished the Bible, they started over. And they kept this routine until Robert was 16 years old. And at age 16, Aunt Ida died. But before she died, she called Robert to her bedside, and she made him promise that one day he would go to school and that he would become somebody important for God. And Robert promised. That was age 16. At age 16, after Ida died, Uncle Eddie decided that he would allow Robert to walk to town, which was two miles, and check out books at the public library. So every Saturday, he would walk to town, get all the books he could carry, and that week he would pour through them, and next Saturday he'd exchange them. You know, he continued this routine for the next 16 years. So when Robert Allen turned 32, he had read every single book in the public library. Over 3,000 volumes. Now, Kurt and I have read a lot of books. But we haven't read 3,000 between us. I'm pretty sure. 3,000 volumes. At age 32, Uncle Eddie dies. So after the funeral, it's just Aunt Bevy and Robert. Robert says, can I go to school now? Aunt Bevy says, you bet. So he checks out the public transit system, and he gets on a bus, and he rides 15 miles to McKenzie, Tennessee, and he walks across town to a private Presbyterian college called Bethel. And there he searches till he finds the admissions office, and he walks in. Now get this picture. He's over six feet tall, long, scraggly red hair. His four front teeth are missing. He's wearing overalls and work boots. Got the picture? He walks in and asks if he can take the entrance exam. They ask him a few questions. He starts to tell his story, and they don't believe him. 32 years old, you've never been to school even one day, and you want to take the college entrance exam. Yes, he did. He was so insistent to, that to appease him, they gave him the test, which he promptly aced. Because if you read 3,000 volumes, you know a lot. He's admitted to college on a special exemption, and at age 32, he goes to school for the very first time in his life. Three years later, he graduates top of his senior class, summa cum laude, with all A's. The faculty bought him his very first suit and a new set of front teeth. I like them, too. Three years later, he gets his master's degree in English. That's 1987. 1991, he gets his Ph.D. from Vanderbilt University. And he's offered a teaching position at Murray State College. Teaches for roughly 20 years and retires. He's now 71 years old. But during this entire time, he's teaching Sunday school at the Little Baptist Church. 
Now, reporters love to come and hear his story and, and write it. And one of them said, how did you accomplish all this? And he said, well, I owe it all to my Aunt Bevy, who taught me to read, and my Aunt Ida, who taught me to trust in God, and that all things were possible when you place your faith in God. He said, and I've been teaching Sunday school as a way to give back, because after all, God has been so very good to me. His true story inspires me. It reminds me when I'm about to make excuses to just shut up, Bill. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And of course life isn't fair. We don't all get the same cards. But we can all do something great for God if we trust in him and put our lives into his hands. This Christmas season we remember that God came down because he loved us. And because he knew he would be the sacrifice for our sin, so that all who believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the good news of Christmas. God loved us enough to send his son. And when we, by faith, receive that gift, it's life-changing, it's internal, it's eternal, and it cannot be lost. God uses ordinary people. People like Joseph, son of Heli. People like Robert Allen from rural Tennessee. I'm just thankful as we begin this Advent season for God's love, his mercy, and his grace, and for the truth that he still uses ordinary people today, people like you and me. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you are merciful, that you are gracious, that you are patient. And this Christmas season, we thank you that you sent your own son down in a manger to show us the way, to lead by example, to demonstrate servanthood, and to give us a chance to have our sins forgiven in his name and to be adopted into your family. Jesus is the reason we are forgiven. Have peace and hope today. Father, we thank you for this indescribable gift at Christmas. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.